To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. Welcome everybody, this is Room Tone, the radio show, and here we are talking movies because we love it on 11.9 FM CITR Radio, broadcasting from Ancedia Muscium Land, here at UBC, what a beautiful day, here, be so happy to be joined by legendary director, instructor, and mentor, Nicholas Humphreys, how are you doing, Nicholas, today? I'm fantastic, thank right you so much on. for having me. Right on, it's a pleasure to have you here, and uh, I'm very, very happy to um, actually um, bring him back uh, an instructor of mine, and I'm very, 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 uh, I feel honored, you know, it's a very special moment. And uh, with this being said, I want to ask you, first things first, uh, who are you? For the people out there who, who don't know you yet, who are you? Okay. Uh, well, hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Nick Humphreys, and I am a Vancouver independent film director. Uh, I've been directing for about 12 years now. So I started, of course, in short films and then uh, made a, a brief kind of departure into web series when I was doing my master's thesis here at UBC. Uh, and, and that that uh, web series was what helped me make the jump into feature films. So I've directed three feature films now, uh, most recently uh, one that I shot in Sudbury, Ontario, with a fantastic crew out there. And uh, I also teach uh, film. I teach directing at Vancouver Film School. Um, I've, I've taught directing and producing at UBC, uh, and I do a lot of mentoring in town. So I do mentoring with uh, the National Screen Institute for Story Hive and, and stuff like that. And that's, that's kind of who I am. That's awesome right there. And we're going to get to exploring, get to know you a little better, but uh, uh, let's take it slow. We have a, a beautiful uh, hour of chat here on this radio show and podcast. And uh, with this being said, uh, one of the biggest questions that I have for you that I have for you is actually related to you as an instructor and mentor. Uh, I know that you have a lot as a director to share and we'll get there. But as an instructor and mentor, uh, what is the ingredient that really makes a student success in their own meaning of success? Oh, man. Um, you know, I think hard work. I hate, I hate the word talent mm -hmm. um, because I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of there's this false narrative around like people like show up on the scene and they just have it right and and because we like those kinds of stories they're exciting but what that doesn't encapsulate is all of the hard work and the failure and the you know making mistakes and learning and stuff like that um, that goes into every single success so I think no matter where you're starting from as a student we all start somewhere and if you're willing to put in the work and be able to recognize where you need to grow anybody can get where they're going. Mm -hmm. Growth is a key word right there. What about your personal growth? My personal growth? Well, I've, uh, <laughs> I've made a share of mistakes along the way. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I don't have a plan B. Um, I've spent my entire adult life pursuing a singular dream, which is to become a director. And, uh, 
you know, not having another option means that I have to keep pushing forward. I have to keep trying. I have to move on to the next thing and 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 see where I need to do better and and tackle those things with the next project. Mm, that's awesome, right there. Thank you for for sharing that. And uh, I feel that that leaves us with a with a. With a doubt, you know, or with a, with a, with the curiosity to explore a little further, yeah. and that's what what was the the step or what was the transition uh, between filmmaking as a hobby and filmmaking, you know, uh, as a as an actual uh, craft, you know, and and bringing you into it as an actual director who was chosen to direct feature films. What was that transition like? Oh man. Well, I mean, I should preface this and I think I'd be doing a disservice if I if I, you know, lied about this at all, but it took me 10 years to get paid as a director. And uh yeah, I don't I think that um I never thought that it was something that I could do as a career. I thought this was always going to be a hobby. It was something I was going to do with my friends and stuff like that. And it came down to um, one of my very first short films I did for like zero dollars in my apartment and just thought I would send it out to a festival. Uh, and the National Screen Institute at the time had a film festival called the Film Exchange. Uh, and I sent it to them and uh, it won the Audience Choice Award, which blew me away because uh, yeah, man, we maybe spent $20 on pizza to feed the crew <laughs> to make this thing. And it was the first time I realized that, you know, like, like maybe I can make stuff that people are connecting with and that people like, and I should continue to pursue this. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I just pushed through and I, and I, I produced a high volume of work, um, over the past 10 years. And I kept, you know, uh, trying different genres and, and different formats and trying web series and stuff like that before making the jump to features. So, mm-hmm. um, I think just, yeah, getting your hands dirty on everything and not taking no for an answer. I think eventually people are going to start paying you for it, um, mm-hmm. because you've spent enough time studying it and, and, you know, you do become the person that gets known for that thing. Mm-hmm. I personally have spent a lot of time branding myself as, um, a genre director, someone who's into horror and dark fantasy and sci-fi. So, um, you know, I think when scripts are greenlit and they have that, um, that, that script, they're thinking of me because I've marketed myself that way. And I think that's an important piece of the puzzle as well. Mm-hmm. Sounds great right there. We uh, crossed um, something in that little, uh, whoop, in the little extra, there was something very interesting to me, which is the importance of recognition. Hmm. And uh, I wonder what would have happened to Nicholas Humphreys if maybe he didn't receive that recognition from the film festival, right? So how important is for filmmakers that sense of recognition of the hard work? How, do you f- how important do you feel that is for someone to grow? Oh, man. Well, for me, it was really important. Um, but, uh, you know, it might, I think it might be a while before you get that, right? Um, Ira Glass talks about this, this thing called the creativity gap that I love, where it's like we all come to, you know, the artistic process, whether it's making films or, or you know, writing or painting, or whatever it is, because we've got good taste and our standards of what is good is way up here. In the radio people can't see what my hands are doing right now. <laughs> but, you know, we have good taste and we want to make those kinds of things. And our experience and the budgets we're playing with, you know, we're not we're not making things at that level. And there's a sense that, you know, we're 
the, the value of what we're doing isn't, isn't that great. Um, but everybody starts down there. And the people that succeed are the ones that survive that gap. And the only way to survive that gap is to fight your way through it and produce a high volume of work. Um, and eventually, you're going to get to that point where you're making stuff that, you know, you consider has value. Mm-hmm. So the only way to create content is to create more content, basically. Just keep pumping it out. Yeah. 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 It's a chain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there learn you from your mistakes. Absolutely. And yeah. what about that process of learning from, from your mistakes? Is there something specific about your journey that you'd like to share related to that process of, of making mistakes? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's such, a, it's such a tough balance when you're a filmmaker because, you know, you have to, on the one hand, have this unshakable sense of confidence. And on the other hand you know, really be able to look at what you did wrong. <laughs> and I look at like pretty much everything that I've done and I'm just like, oh, I should have done that differently. I should have done that differently. Um, and I think that's just like a really important part of the process is, mm-hmm. you know, like be able to recognize those things um, and learn from it and then try not to make the same mistake twice. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think there's always going to be that thing. And it's a good thing if it is because it means that, you know, you're recognizing those things and getting, and getting to grow. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific way you look back at your work? Oh, you know what I find really handy is when, like, if I'm in post-production on a project and I've been staring at it for a really long time, I will just bring somebody new into the room to watch it. And just the act of having somebody in that space that's seeing it with fresh eyes will allow me to see it with a kind of fresh eyes, which allows me to then dig back in and, and make changes because, you know, you get to a point in post-production where it just, you've been staring at it for so long, it just, you, know, you don't even know if it's, it has, if it's good or, or if you're telling the story that you set it to tell, so. This is very important. What you just said is something that really resonates and I personally experienced having someone who hasn't watched the movie in the room yeah. triggers a certain type of awareness in yourself while you're watching that movie. And this is something, it's very interesting, try and explore the motivations behind it and how that works. But if you watch the movie on your own, it's just not the same thing. Yeah, It's just not the same thing. Yeah. That's interesting. We are, And that proves how the, the, the need of social interaction, you know, in yeah. our spe- species, you know, and also in the community. We have such a beautiful community here in Vancouver. What, what, how have you seen it transform in the past 10 years? The community? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, actually, I had a really kind of amazing moment last night uh, mm-hmm. there was a screening at the Rio Theater uh, and it was a selection of films that uh, had been greenlit with StoryHive funding um, and a bunch of the filmmakers got together and pooled resources to rent out the theater and there was such a diversity of a content um, but also be like the, the types of voices in the room was really really diverse and yet the Rio is a huge theater and it was packed Right. So it's like you've got these these singular, you know, unique voices now that didn't exist 10 years ago. I mean, it was a very whitewashed, cisgendered type of culture. And now it's so diverse, but the community is one. Right. And everybody was coming out and applauding each other's work and supporting each other. And it was an emotional thing to be, you know, me sitting up in the balcony, you know, 12 years after starting this, watching this community come out and support each other. Um, The independent film scene in Vancouver is... It's just, it's a wonderful place to be an artist. Um, And I think, 
Yeah, it's just there's never been a better time to be a filmmaker, no matter who you are. You know, you, you, anybody can make a film now and and people are going to celebrate it mm-hmm. in, sometimes in little, you know, theaters in Vancouver. And then those things are going to go out on the Internet and people are going to share them. It's just beautiful it's sense of acceptance here in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. And then that's where that's where we we meet another line. Uh, coming from Italy with uh, such a structured culture, you know, uh, there seems to be this big dilemma, you know, in my mind. And where does diversity fit in and where does uh, integration fit in? Mm. There seems to be this big, big contrast because I feel Vancouver and uh, this is Vancouver in general. It's a little bit like a um, hormonal teenager, you know, <laughs> it has its own uh, aspects to it. It's, con- it's always changing. It's still the def- finding its own identity and that's when integration comes in and might help Mm. but at the same time it will lose the fascination of diversity where do you think is the balance when it comes to places like vancouver oh man well i think we're always going to be kind of finding our own identity in a place like vancouver and that's you know that's the that's uh, i think the the benefit of being such a multicultural city is that new people and new voices are constantly being added to the equation which means you know there's never going to be you know a, a picture of what a vancouverite looks like you know and i think that's true for most of canada as well mm-hmm, it's like there's mm-hmm. no like you know atypical you know like a like a canadian sort of persona um mm-hmm. our identity is that we we are multicultural and, you know, we are inclusive and uh, I wouldn't want to live any other way. Mm-hmm. And where do you think that line exists in feature films, especially your feature films? I'd really like to hear about your feature films and your adventures. And what is that line between the creative and rational aspect of filmmaking for you? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I... I make genre films, right? Like I, I make <laughs> horror movies because I love horror movies. And so I think there's a, you owe the audience a certain formula, right? So that they get what they paid for. Um, because film is also a business. And uh, so we're, we're sort of operating within that, that, structure when we make horror movies at the same time we want to surprise people we don't want to give them the same thing they've seen a million times so it's like you really do have to find that balance of like practicality and ingenuity uh when you're making a genre film that uh yeah it's 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 not an easy thing but i actually like the 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 structure i think is a good thing you know Mm -hmm. like i think it it allows us to be more creative if we know what the sandbox is that we're playing in of course Um, you need the limits to actually be fully creative it it limits emphasize creativity creativity yeah what you're saying yeah Yeah. okay (laughs) yeah it's it's i mean the um the the different genres and categories of movies have definitely helped people even find an identity for themselves yeah and we need to celebrate that it's it's because again identity is is another big word and uh, i feel that when we come across movies that give us a part of that you know mm-hmm. it's it's emotionally it's intense it's big it's yeah. hard to explain with words that's why people make movies in the first place because yeah. there are things you can't explain with words yeah and uh, that's where i feel Gratefulness for the film industry, you know. Mm-hmm. Film industry is still having, uh, you know, finding uh, finding its own balance. Looking at Hollywood and type of movies that are being released and um, and that will be released. Where do you feel the indie film community fits into the whole picture? Oh man. Well, I mean, I think we're the we're the pioneers, right? And mm-hmm. I think like in a lot of ways, Hollywood is kind of scrambling because they don't really know what 
audiences want. Oh, okay. All right. Look at that. <laughs> okay. I mean, we're seeing all these reboots of like old TV shows and it's like we're constantly recycling the same ideas in Hollywood because the budgets are bigger and, you know, a certain amount of money needs to be made because it's also a business. Um, so the indie film scene, I think, gets to be kind of like a, a testing ground for, you know, new ideas that might be successful. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of an exciting place to play. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've also, you know, just recently sort of uh, discovered in my own filmmaking life is that, you know, sometimes those bigger budget films are less fun. Mm. I feel like the bigger the movie is, you know, the more moving pieces, the more pressure. Like, there's just so many things that kind of subtract from that pure you know, indie filmmaking kind of feeling on a set when everyone's there because they're just passionate about movies and they want, you know, to be a part of it. The film soul. Yeah. The film soul, yeah. What, what is the, the experience you remember of the with most pleasure? Oh boy. When, when thinking about the film soul, the film soul, I did uh, <laughs> I did a, a like a little competition short for uh, something called ABCs of Death, which is a uh, uh, it's like a horror anthology. So they've have there's two versions of it now. There's ABCs of Death one and two, where they curate uh, 25 directors to make a horror short based on a certain letter of the alphabet. Oh, um, and then the 26th one was a competition piece. So like directors from all over the world created their own uh, letter M short and then submitted it and then people voted and then the the winning one made it into the final anthology mm-hmm. we didn't win uh, but we did really really well and they, <laughs> they created a separate anthology uh with 26 shorts that were within the competition mm-hmm. but when i made that uh when when we my my little film family made that short um you know i think we spent a thousand dollars we went out into the woods um you know everyone was volunteer we shot through the night and everybody was naked because i was like this cult scene in the woods and uh it was just the most fun playful filmmaking experience I've ever had we were all there for the love of it um, and it just yeah I just I, whenever I think of like my favorite kind of film memory I think that was it wonderful and it goes back to the community as well I feel you know the people that you make the movie with yeah. that's what's gonna color the experience you know yeah. and that's 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 what makes it so magical in yeah. the end yeah we'll get to talk a little bit about that even more later but I feel now it's time to take a break mm-hmm. and actually I wanna ask you because this is one of my favorite soundtracks and one of my favorite stories overall, and this is The Last of Us, the video game. Why did you choose The Last of Us? Oh, my gosh. Uh, the Last of Us is, well, first of all, I think some of the most compelling storytelling is happening in games. Mm. And I think The Last of Us is one of the most beautiful games to hit the scene in recent memory. And the music is is incredible. I can agree with that and I can agree with the fact that so many good stories are being told in video games. Yeah. Um, you know what? Well, we'll get to chat a little bit about video games uh, as well after the break. But before then, uh, enjoy. This is the soundtrack of The Last of Us by Gustavo Santaolalla and uh, this is A New Dawn.
Welcome back, everybody. This is Room Tone, the radio show. And here we are with the, the phenomenal Nicholas Humphreys talking movies and talking a little bit about video games as well. This was the soundtrack of The Last of Us. What an amazing video game. And the soundtrack by Gustavo Santaolalla. Now, video games are finding their own space in the world of entertainment and especially storytelling. When we get to that active cinematic experience, uh, what's your take on that and what's your experience uh, with something like that? Oh my gosh. Well, I should preface this by saying that I'm not necessarily a gamer. Um, my boyfriend's a huge gamer. <laughs> and so he plays and I watch. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I just feel like the format of a video game not only allows for a really mm. expansive uh, you know, world building and character development oh, experience, yeah. but the fact that you're getting to make the choices of that character creates that just another level of empathy that you know you have for that character we're not a passive audience watching this happen to someone we're a piece of them and uh and i think that's just it, it provides for really exciting storytelling and we're seeing that in games like the last of us and life is strange and the telltale games like the walking dead oh. game you Woo. know don't get me started on that <laughs> the, the, the narrative and the the sense of story behind those projects it's 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 really at another level it's be it's it's basically um capturing so much of the audience that is not being in, is not feeling involved with yeah. TV series anymore. Yeah. And uh, I feel that we're going to reach a stage in which that interactivity of video game of video games is going to match the filmic quality experience. Mm-hmm. We're going to find a common space or I hope we will find a common space. Do you, do you think we'll find a common space? I think so because you know like uh, my generation did not necessarily grow up with these kinds of video games. Like I didn't get an original Nintendo until I was like 12 years old. So now the generations are growing up with a controller in their hand. And I think, you know, as the technology gets better and the audience is accustomed to playing games, I think, yeah, we're just going to get, it's it's fusing. Um, and it'll be really exciting to see, you know, what happens over the next 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. In that and we actually talking about that, I want to ask you, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Where do I see myself in 10 years? If everything goes according to plan, I will be living in a cabin in the woods. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe making a movie, like a straight-to-video-on-demand horror movie a year uh, and spending a lot of time with my partner and my dog and my cat um, and just living life. I think that would be... Wonderful. What's the name of your dog? Uh, Fergus. Fergus. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I love dogs. Lo- yeah. Dogs, uh, cats, animals uh, have their own way of being as well, you know, and the difference between cats and dogs, you know. Yeah. It's fascinating to see how that's embedded in their nature, you know. Mm-hmm. And the dog, you know, we love you no matter what. I find it so interesting that when you throw the stick, the dog, and then you hide it, you throw the stick and maybe you hide it, right? <laughs> yeah. The dog still still goes for it yeah. because he, the dog loves you so much and trusts you so much that he would never even be able to imagine that you would fool him like that. Yeah, And it's so... <laughs> interesting to see how there is an animal aspect that we are lacking as humans yeah. and there is a human aspect that animals are missing as animals yeah. it's another big contrast right there but that was a little bit of a whoop segue move <laughs> it was something like yeah just uh, letting it out there and with that being uh, said I actually want to talk straight away about your web series and oh, yeah. your experience 
with your web series. Cool. Yeah. So I uh, was a part of this web series back in 2009 that started off as a short film. Uh, one of the writers took it to a director. Uh, Ryan Koppel, the writer, took it to Kalina Kiff, a uh, director. And she loved it, but she thought it was, you know, we spent 10 pages building a world and not telling a story. So they mm. expanded it into a pilot. We couldn't get any networks to even respond to us because we were just a bunch of film students that had done some short films. Mm. And we finally got the good advice to adapt it into a web series, build an audience, and then bring that as a proof of concept with an audience back to the studios. Mm -hmm. um, so we shot this web series. It was a steampunk-inspired web series called Reese Kingdom Falling um, and uh, got millions of views. We promoted it at Comic-Con and we managed to license it to the Sci-Fi Channel. There was a prequel novel, an iPhone game. We did two seasons. Wow. It was recut as a feature. Uh, it was on Space Channel in Canada, dubbed into like a bunch of different languages. Um, and the success of that was what helped me make the jump into features, right? Because the usually the, the trouble with short films is that you know, everybody has one. And in order to get trusted with a budget, you need to prove that you can handle a larger story. And that web series was, you know, the thing that allowed me to show, look, I'm, I'm not just a short film guy. I can also tell a story that lasts 45 minutes. Give me money to make a feature film. Mm -hmm. That was the step in the middle. Yeah. And what about your first feature film experience? My first feature oh, film experience. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. man. We want to hear that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's called Death to Us Part. And you can get it pretty much everywhere because it's a very straight up murder mystery in the woods mm -hmm. type slasher film. And uh, we shot for 11 and a half days up on the Sunshine Coast. Um, really fantastic group of people donating their time um, and equipment. Uh, we shot it for quite a low budget. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it just it got out there. It's on DVD. It's on iTunes. It's you know, it's it's everywhere. So that was uh, it was really fun. Um, and it was very exciting to be making that first feature. Mm -hmm. Was it something you wrote? No, no, it was written by uh, uh, Ryan Koppel, one of the writers from Reese, and uh, and two of the actors, Julie and Peter Benson. Awesome. They kind of co-wrote it, and then we went out into the woods for 11 days and mm -hmm. shot like crazy. And, yeah. And yeah. Because I know you're also a writer, and I would love to explore that layer of, 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 of your creative soul as well. You bet. Because being a writer and director, there is a duality there. And it's interesting. How do you switch between those when you go on set? Well, I, I mean, I came to film production and directing because... I sort of fell in love with with writing and, and reading first. I lived in books when I was a kid. Some of my favorite experiences as a child were sitting with my nose in a book. Mm. And, uh, you know, there was a while where I wanted to be a writer. Directing wasn't even on the radar. Um, and uh, I just found that, you know, when I got exposed to film after I graduated from college and was working at Vancouver Film School, that it was something that I, I got really excited about the collaboration aspect of it. So, I mean, I've written and directed a couple of short films, but I really enjoy when you have a bunch of people who are experts of their own crafts, right? You have a writer who's been working that muscle, you know, round the clock and a director who's focusing on directing and actors who focus on acting. And you bring all these minds together, all fighting for the best idea. And then the resulting product is better than a sum of its parts. And so, you know, while I'm not, I, while I would never say that I will never write and direct, um, I do, when I'm directing, I like working with a script where a writer is in charge of that script. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a that's a, a beautiful um, that's a beautiful walk right there we just had in the park. Uh, you know, that was a <laughs> really interesting uh, section right there, and uh, you know that leads that opens so many doors. And because when you are a writer and director and then instructor and mentor, you know, having so many different points of view on the same craft of on the craft of filmmaking and telling stories, mm -hmm. where is that line between filmmaking and the story? You know, 
when is it necessary to go to the medium of filmmaking instead of just focusing on the story and what the story needs it's a delicate it's a delicate balance right there as well huh yeah um how do I you mean, feel about that the the, the 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 challenge with film is that uh you know we're limited by our budgets sometimes mm. and sometimes the story requires you know a, a certain thing to happen but we're only in that location for a day or you know we <laughs> yeah. you know that we have to make a lot of uh choices based on on time and money um so i think it's what is important to do is look at that script and think about like what is the emotional intention behind a story be what do we want the audience to feel and then taking that and adapting it to the resources that we have available to us mm-hmm. and that process is not so smooth all the times right <laughs> no, sometimes it's a huge failure but have, we do our best do you have, an, uh, do you have uh, something in mind based on your own experience you know what when i was when we were doing uh reese the web series we were in fort langley for a day and we shot something out of sequence and based Basically, one thing led to another, and I realized that I had 30 minutes left of daylight in that location to tell, like, six pages of script. Oh, wow. And it was devastating. It was the biggest thing I'd ever worked on, and I was panicking. There's a horrible—there's a picture of me sitting on set with my binder trying to figure out how to solve it, and it makes my <laughs> my stomach lurch whenever I see that photo. Uh, but when I looked at it, I had to go through the script and look, and I was like, this is a cat-and-mouse chase behind between the protagonist and a bunch of, like, feral children that are trying to kill her. And mm. so I kind of threw my shot list out the window and talked to my DP. We collaborated on this. And what we did is we stuck a camera at one end of Fort Langley and just had her run towards the camera. And then we had kids hiding off the sides of frames and and running in. And after we shot that, I went home feeling like I'd, I'd wasted everyone's money and time and I'd ruined everything. When we edited it into the film or into the web series episode, it's my favorite shot in the whole movie. Mm. And so sometimes, you know, you get these happy accidents, things that that feel like a, a mistake or or you know you're being limited by something can result in a really rewarding product. So it's just yeah, it was like the most devastated I've ever been and yet became one of my favorite moments. It's uh interesting to hear that from you especially because having the experience of working with budgets that you know even rich uh really really high stakes you know there is a lot of there is a lot yeah. happening on set when there's so much so many resources involved how was your experience with uh, some of the features that had a little bit of a bigger castle behind oh man well the one that i just shot in sudbury was like by far the biggest film that i've ever worked on it was a big sci-fi movie set in space you know we were on a spaceship Mm -hmm. and uh you know it was a couple million dollars of someone else's money (laughs) and so the stakes were really high i found i was having night terrors when i was trying to sleep at night um and i was also really terrified because i've been making movies here in vancouver with the same film family for like a decade and there i was working with an entirely new team of people all who have been making movies with each other. I was like the new part of the equation. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I really lucked out because with this fantastic line producer in Sudbury, a guy named Jason Jelle, who, um, you know, made an effort to introduce me to everyone, all my key creatives in a social way before we even got to, to picture. And so when we arrived for that first day on set, I was suddenly making a movie with all my friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the film industry is relatively new in Sudbury. So everybody that are working on those films are all very talented, but 
that you know there's no there's no sense of jadedness going on everybody's still really excited to be making movies mm-hmm. there so we had a fantastic time you know even though it was like a big budget high stakes the the experience of making the film was very rewarding such a such a smart and pleasant experience going there meeting everybody before actually starting the movie mm-hmm. that's something I mean producers take note this is amazing because it really gives you the chance to gives you the time to adapt yeah and it gives the chance to a little bit of the, 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 to It gives time to the family to yeah. really so- solidify around yeah. the story. You work faster. You communicate better. It just, yeah, I think it was a really interesting technique to have us do that. And I even re- wasn't aware he was doing it until we got there. And I was like, hey, I see what you're doing there. It's <laughs> pretty smart. Yeah, emotional intelligence. You need this in this industry. Yeah. yeah, and all those. Uh, and in the end, it's all about feelings. huh? It's oh, all yeah. about emotions, you know. We, without those, we would just be robots, right? Yeah. Everything would be standardized. Is there a specific emotion that identifies your path? Oh, identifies my path. As um, an artist as and an filmmaker. Artist. Uh, hope. <laughs> Ooh, okay, okay. I guess, yeah. Hope seeking that light. And that, and that actually resonates a lot with, the, with the, the Last of Us that we're playing the soundtrack of. Yeah. It really resonates with that. Mm-hmm. Hope is a big word right there. Yeah. You know? Well, I think if you if I look back at my body of work and I kind of like look at the characters that I sort of identify the most with, it's it's people who are sort of, you know, at moments, characters who are at moments of change in their life and realize they're not like everybody else. And so, you know, it's the, the hope to, you know, succeed or, or I guess survive or or, you know, flourish, whatever that means within their world. I think that's mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's. Mm-hmm. Let's say hope. <laughs> oh yeah, hope. I like that. That okay. light, whoop, is flashing through the darkness. You know, give yeah. me that. Yeah, give me that. It's um, uh, definitely something that resonates a lot, especially in in our society in 2018. Yeah, because there's so many problems out there, so many imbalances, and that's what movies give us. Movies give us hope mm-hmm. to really go and 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 fight against all these un- unfair things that are happening around the world so hope is definitely an, an interesting keyword that you splashed out there it's uh, definitely well aimed and, and well shot and uh, with that I want to actually transition to casting because hmm. they say 90% of directing is casting Big I want to hear what you think about that casting I mean uh, you know in the industry it's industry standard to cast from an audition and a casting session and it's it's such a crazy thing to do because you have actors who are better at that at auditions than than you know acting sometimes and and you have 10 minutes to figure out if someone is going to be the face of your movie you know and that's a big choice to make and so um, I I would much prefer cast somebody because I've seen something that they've been in and they've you know kicked butt and maybe a reference <laughs> you know phone call to the the director and ask you know how they were to work with but you know in a casting session I always look for you know even if they give me what I'm looking for the moment they walk in with what they've prepared I'll give them an adjustment to take them in a different direction even if it's not what I'm looking for because I want to see how they take that adjustment and if they can take it and make it feel real then I know I can work with them on the day mm-hmm. um, I've also had the privilege of working with I mean a couple of films I've worked with we 
we've had casts that kind of like came on board because they were going to be a, a, a bankable element to that film. Um, and I've had wonderful experiences with that. Um, my second feature, I got to work with Aon Rion from uh, Game of Thrones. Um, and he plays such a terrifying character on that show. I was really nervous about meeting him, but he was just very low maintenance mm-hmm. and cool and fun and then would turn it on and give us these amazing performances. So mm-hmm. yeah, casting's a beast. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you just need to know what you're looking for. Yes, that's a, that's a good one right there. I mean, good directors, usually there is a saying that good directors are uh, know what they're doing, know what they want. Yeah. Um, I think it's also really important to keep an open mind in regards to things like gender and race and stuff like that. Oh, yes. You may have like come into it with a certain you know look in mind but if you if you shut those doors you might be missing an opportunity for something greater oh yes thank you for saying that because there is a and in, in the past episodes here room tone we actually had a lot of guests talking about representation mm-hmm. um, and uh, that is a huge topic it's in, it's 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 deeply important to go and explore all aspects of representation because characters are not only characters, they represent ideals. They represent communities. Yeah. So when a specific character delivers a line, even in a specific way, that can have a whole shift in the way a community even speaks. Mm-hmm. You know? And and I feel that that is it goes back to the to the intensity of the job of the director, you know? Yeah. There is a subtlety that becomes majestic later on. And I also think it's really important to like, I mean, growing up as, as a as a gay kid in a small town in the 90s, you know, like I didn't see representations of myself on screen. Mm. Um, it, they just didn't exist. And I think, you know, the same is true for, you know, many minorities, right? It's uh, film historically has been very whitewashed and we create our identities based on, you know, things that we see. Right. And and so, you know, we a lot of us kind of get these like stunted development things because we have to find out who we are without the assistance of, you know, things that we're seeing on on film and television so i think we're seeing a huge shift in that right now and i think that's very exciting i think you know gay kids and asian kids and and you know kids of all over the spectrum mm-hmm. are now going to have these little like positive affirmations that you know you're a human person that exists in the world and there are other people like you and you're not alone i think that's just fantastic yes yes Woo-hoo. oh yeah that really resonates again and i feel that the the the, the vancouver is the is the perfect place to talk about this mm-hmm. because not not too long ago I was on a set where everybody from the crew was coming from a different place in mm-hmm. the world like a different country mm-hmm. not even a different like a different country mm-hmm. you know and uh, that's something so beautiful and poetic in a way everybody coming from a different place under the same roof to tell the same to tell the same story mm-hmm. um, we're getting there I really feel we're getting it where do you, where do you see the community in 10 years Oh, boy. Um, In 10 years, I think we're going to start to see... Like, I think, you know, like uh, movies like Love, Simon and Crazy Rich Asians and like those are not going to be outliers. There's going to be like a larger piece of the pie of the things that, you know, we see coming out of Hollywood with big Mm -hmm. budgets and being supported and and celebrated and stuff like that. I think we're going to, you know, reach just a very colorful equilibrium Mm -hmm. uh, in in the things that we have access to 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 watch and, and that we get to make and the voices telling those stories. It's really exciting. Equilibrium, balance. Ah, we always go back to that. Huh? It's uh, probably the, the toughest challenge, uh, maintaining that balance. And with that being said, it's time to take our second break. 
And right after that, we're going to get to the one-minute pitch. Oh, we got something to, to <laughs> pitch right there. But uh, yeah, this is the soundtrack of Gustavo Santolaya, You and Me from The Last of Us. Enjoy. Wow, Nicolas, where did that take you? <laughs> that that took me to that menu screen uh, in The Last of Us where it's like it feels like you're sitting in a chair just watching the the curtain in the window blow and and everything is gone. Everybody's gone and every single thing is gone. And it's just this beautiful, hopeless kind of moment, which isn't even part of the gameplay. That's mm -hmm. that's kind of where that takes me. Mm -hmm. it, projecting yourself into that world. 100%. Woo, that's yeah. uh, um, imagination right there. Yeah. For writers, directors who being able to project that in there. It's um, something that it's, it's fun and it's also a great muscle, you yeah. know, to, to develop as a storyteller. But with that being said, we're going to go to the one minute pitch. Oh Are you boy. ready for that? I think so. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit that clock. All right. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. I'm going in three, two, one. Okay, so it's Halloween night, 1987, and a group of kids uh, accidentally break this artifact at a museum that unleashes this ancient evil upon their town. And what this evil does is it turns everybody who's dressed up in a Halloween costume into the monsters that they're dressed up in. So this is a monster movie of epic proportions, okay? There's hordes of zombies. There's there's Draculas. Uh, pretty much every uh, big bad uh, within popular culture in 1987 makes an appearance in this film. It is like Stranger Things meets Ready Player One. Um, and so these kids, they have to survive the night. They have to rescue their parents and they have to get this evil back into the artifact so that they can survive and live another day um, this is a script that was written by uh, Matt Baker and uh, Roz Young based on an idea I had in a corn maze on Halloween night give us your money <laughs> <laughs> 
Amazing! Look at that, right on time. <laughs> that's the way you pick it, half five, man. That's the way you pitch it. Wow! All right, that's a great idea. Woo! Okay. Well, um, that's uh, that's a wow. I'm still imagining all the the the, the outcomes and the possibility and the things that you can do with something like that. It's huge. This is the script that I keep around when the luck hits and some producers like, hey, I got you know millions of dollars to throw at you. Mm-hmm. What is the thing you want to make? That's the script that I want to make. Amazing. Because it's a perennial film. It's Halloween, so it's like. It'd become an instant classic, right? People will watch it year after year. It's That's very mind. yes, it is very catchy in the idea already. It is it is good. very catchy, good. very interesting. Maybe um, somebody heard that and will throw some money at me. <laughs> yeah, right on. <laughs> All right, and this takes us to the Proust questionnaire. Fantastic. And I'm gonna ask you. Whoop! Of course, I have to ask you. Who are your favorite writers? Oh my goodness! Uh, hands down, hundred percent. Clive Barker is the writer that made me want to be a storyteller. I read uh, Everville and the Great and Secret Show when I was like 12 years old, and it just changed the way I thought about storytelling and world building. Um, And funny story, I actually sent him a link to a short film I did called The Little Mermaid, and uh, and he responded. I I contacted him through Facebook, and he just said, a lovely film. So now on my website, I've got this quote from Clive Barker uh, on a short film that I did, and it's like one of the most meaningful messages I've ever received. Mm -hmm. And what was your experience on that short film? Oh man, uh, that was shot in a day uh, in a in a studio at Vancouver Film School, and that film has actually, you know, it's like of all the things that I've done, that thing has gotten more play than anything else I've ever done because it won some awards at festivals, um, and then when we went on YouTube, like it's had over five million views on YouTube. So now when I have students coming in and I'm showing them, you know, like things that I've done in my demo reel and stuff, they've all seen that short film, um, and it just goes to show that like short films can actually get you a ton of visibility if you can connect with that audience. It's all about that idea. It's all about finding the key. Yeah, and mermaids are really popular, apparently. Like, people really love <laughs> stuff about mermaids. Right on. <laughs> awesome. And with that, we're going to moonwalk to the second question of the Proust questionnaire. And it is, what do you consider your greatest achievement? My greatest achievement? Uh, you know what? I think from where I'm at right now, I uh, was a starving artist for a very long time and so I learned to live my life within a certain budget and when I shot my last feature um, you know I got I got paid to make that film and I was able to buy uh, a house about five hours north of Vancouver um, and because th- that has been a dream that I've had my entire life of owning you know my own house and uh, it's not something that's available to us within Vancouver um, but uh, yeah being able to buy that place uh, with my partner we started when we got together um, we were sleeping on an air mattress in a 400 square foot studio apartment that had an ant issue <laughs> and you know six years later we have our own property you know and, and a, our own little piece of forest and paradise and I just awesome. think that's that. oh that's beautiful yeah. that's awesome right yeah. there woo alright third question of the Proust questionnaire this is a little bit deeper what is your greatest fear home invasion okay <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I there lose you go. so many there sleepless nights thinking someone's going to come in and get me. I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. There you go. All right. And this, as deep as that's, a, that's a great answer right there. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. Fourth question of the Proust questionnaire. Who are your heroes in real life? Oh, um, Guillermo del Toro. Ooh. If I could be like any director, um, he's kind of my idol. Um, 
but as far as like real life heroes go like right now too like i think shout out to the uh bc wildfire service the men and women that are fighting the wildfires in bc mm-hmm. right now and putting their their lives on the line um doing you know some really important work and receiving a ton of criticism online for not doing it the right way like i think you know those those are some heroes that i mm-hmm. have right now those are the people you most admire at this moment yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's just i think they're doing really important scary dangerous work i and see they they deserve our respect mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah there is a lot that goes into it i actually had a friend who who did that and there is so much so much work that goes into it yeah physical mental um shout out to everybody who actually keep keep does the, their best to keep us safe yeah in general you know exactly yeah, we can't take it for granted you know yeah it's 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 huge it's big and that's uh Yeah, we've got to be very grateful every single day. Yeah. Just as we are today, enjoying the beautiful sun here in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, beautiful to be here, and it's beautiful to be about to wrap up this whole episode. Before we wrap it up, uh, I still have a couple of questions from the Proust questionnaire. For sure. And uh, this one goes, which historical figure do you most identify with? Oh, boy. Um, That's a tough one. But that it, is a tough very one. Very interesting, yeah. Uh... Oscar Wilde. Ooh, all right, <laughs> awesome, right there. That was that was that was easy though. You had you thought about it a little bit, but then it just came out. It was really natural. Yeah, I like that. I really like that. And that takes us to the last question of the Proust questionnaire. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Oh, perfect happiness for me is a lazy Sunday <laughs> up at my house with the windows open where I can hear the birds and I can see the trees and I'm with my boyfriend and my dog and my cat and we're watching cartoons um, and eating whatever the hell we like. <laughs> That's awesome. perfect happiness to me. Awesome. There you go. What's your favorite food? My favorite food? Uh, I'm going to say sushi... Mm-hmm. Mexican food being a close runner-up. Okay, okay, awesome right there. Have you been to Mexico? Many times. Okay. Yeah, I'm going back in February, actually. Oh, there you go. That's awesome right yeah. there. Traveler, what is the place you, you you like the most in the whole world? I've been going to Puerto Vallarta since I was a little kid with my family, so it's the place I go back to because I know where everything is. You know, I know how to get around. Um, it's a beach town. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. But I do want to go and explore and actually experience some culture. I have a lot of Mexican friends having worked at Vancouver Film School, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like I could do a, a driving tour of Mexico and have places to stay in every single little town and awesome, right one of these there. days I'll do that trip yeah awesome it's um, interesting uh, talking about that sense of detachment from the work there's a balance between rest and, and work yeah uh, what's your take on that I think it's really important. Like, you know, I spent so much of my 20s just working on becoming a better filmmaker. And I feel like the things that actually made me a better storyteller was going out and living life and having life experiences. And I feel like if you don't, if you can't shut off and and go have adventures outside of film, it's going to be harder to have stories to tell inside of film. So I think it's really important, you know, to to have that work-life balance. And and filmmaking is, is, you know, your life and it has to be. But... I think it's also really important to go out and have other interests and, mm-hmm. and do things to relax and manage your anxiety if you're me, like my <laughs> crazy anxiety. So you got to like, you know, have those quiet times. Mm, how do you balance that? When is the time you say, I need to go, I need to go, I need to just detach? Or when is the time, oh, I need to go back and make, make a move, I need to go back to work? 
I, you know, like I just will be very clear about what my boundaries are. I think now, you know, I, and I, I will never shirk an obligation. If I sign up for something, I will give it 110% until it's done. And once it's done, I will give myself the, allow, the, the, the required amount of time to decompress. Mm-hmm. So my last feature was two years ago. I'll probably be ready to tackle another one in six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Do you have something uh, in mind? Yeah, I'm actually, I, I've got, uh, I'm working on a script with a, a screenwriter named Margaret Lockyer, and uh, she's writing something. This is sort of a step forward and a step back, but it's a, it's a, a film that we can shoot with the resources that we have available to us. You know, we're not shooting outside our budget. It's two actors acting, three actors acting in one location. Um, it is a thriller. It's in my genre, but um, I want to go back and shoot a feature where the stakes are lower, um, and uh, I feel like that's where I'm going to get to be able to say something, you know, ner- noteworthy and and impactful, you know, where there isn't a ton of stakes and we can just be creative and, you know, not have to deliver a product for the widest possible audience. Where is, where is your heart now? Your creative heart? My creative heart? Um, it's, I, I want to continue doing features, but I want to, you know, like I, for a lot of years, I was having to say yes to everything. When you have an opportunity, you say yes. And now I feel like the pressure's off a little bit. I've got three feature films under my belt, and I'm going to only say yes if the story is there and the conditions are right and it's the people I want to work with. Um, I've got a little bit more freedom to say yes to the right project now, um, which is it's an exciting place to be. Mm-hmm. And that's can... that's something that uh, you conquer with a lot of time and, 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 and work. Yeah. And that's something that... Um, comes to my mind when I think about Nicholas Humphreys, you know, <laughs> and when we as, you know, alumni or students talk about you as an instructor, mentor, director, we always, we always talk with, uh, with light in our eyes, you know, oh. because of the passion that you share Thank and you. because of the help that you, that you give. Every time we, someone needed help, you were there and that's, that creates trust and that's something that I feel you have to be very happy and, and proud of. Because people resonate with that. People create a link with that. And uh, they will remember. Well, thank and you for saying people, that. People remember that. You know? People don't forget. That's, that's the most important thing I want to I wanna, I wanna wrap this, hippie, this whole episode up with. Because people don't forget. Nobody forgets. Especially feelings and emotions. Mm. We might forget what people say. But we will never forget how people make us feel. Are you trying to make me cry? No, 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 no. It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. But, uh, but uh, we're here. And uh, with that, I want to ask you one last question before um, we wrap this whole burrito up. And that's, uh, what's your advice to filmmakers? Oh, my advice to filmmakers. You know what? Uh, fight your way through it. I think I said that earlier, but like everybody starts somewhere and, you know, if you're willing to put in the time and the energy and, and you could acknowledge, you know, where you need to grow, everybody can get where they're going and and don't have a plan b and and take the work seriously but don't take yourself too seriously oh take yeah. the work seriously but don't take yourself too seriously Ooh, yeah. i really like that that's awesome and with that we are wrapping up the 29th episode of room tone here at citr 11.9 fm we're gonna put the link of your website in the description of this podcast so that everybody uh, can take a look at what you're doing and any shout outs Shout outs to uh, my boyfriend, award-winning costume designer, Brandon Peterson, who is on set today with his, or in the studio with his costume team on a weekend working hard. I love ya. Awesome. Let's make more movies, uh, more and more and more movies here in the beautiful, uh, uh, sunny Vancouver. This is the soundtrack of The Last of Us. Thank you, Nicolas. Thank you. And see you next Monday. Mm-hmm.